Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Happy 4th. I've been doing a series, we've been doing a series here on uh, God transforming us called A, a Transformed Life. And we're going to continue that today. And, and I, here, here's my title. And I know for some of you, this might be a little in your face, but here's my title. Jesus transforms selfish and sinful people like me. Jesus transforms selfish and sinful people like me. So I'm hoping that if you have ever been selfish or sinful, you'll receive a lot of hope, encouragement, and you will see the gospel of Jesus Christ in a fresh light today, that the Lord will open your eyes and open your ears and give you a hunger and a heart to know Jesus Christ the way that we see Him in Scripture today. I'm going to do something a little bit different. You know, the Scripture exhorts us, Paul exhorted Timothy to tell the church to give themselves to the public reading of Scripture. And so in the early church, they often read the Scripture out loud together and there were responsive readings. It was a part of what they did because they understood something that people... People get something into them, not just by looking at it and, and reading it, but by speaking it out and reading it. It helps with memorization, and it's, it's just good for the brain when we speak the Word of God. So I have three opening texts, and I'll expand on them a little bit. I'll explain them a little bit, but three opening texts I'd like us to read out loud together. And that means you. Yes, you. But wait, there's more. No, read it out loud with me, if you would. So the first is... 2 Corinthians 5.17, and all three of these texts are very, very familiar. 2 Corinthians 5.17, let's read it together. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away, and see, the new has come. Somebody say amen. amen. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Amen. And lastly, Romans 5, 6, and 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, we read these three texts, and they lay a foundation for where I'm going to go today, so I, I just want to comment for a minute on them. The first thing I want to say, and this is a, a really good reminder for us, but that is that if you are in Christ, that is that you have trusted Jesus Christ alone to rescue you from the power of sin and death, but also to reveal the Father to you, to bring you into fellowship. Because listen, becoming a Christian is not so you can get a ticket to go to heaven when you die. That's one of the many benefits. But we have been brought to the Father through the Son by the power and agency of the Holy Spirit that we would know God, that we would be intimate with God, that we would be the friend of God, that we would be sons and daughters of God. The reason we get quote-unquote saved is so we can be saved into our original intention and purpose by God. Right? So if you're in Christ... You are a new creation. I'm going to say it again. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. There is a a whole new kind of life inside of you. 
You're not the person you used to be. God has come to live in you. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence within your very body. God no longer dwells in temples made by human hands. He's not into brick and mortar. He's into flesh and bone and blood. That's That's where he lives now. He lives in a global body, a global temple in every nation of the world. Every race, kindred, tribe, and tongue, he dwells in a living temple. And you and I are called living stones and we're being fitted together and fashioned for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's why God can do great things in a building like this. Because you're the building. You are the living temple of God and you're a new creation. How many of you, when you look back and you think about your journey, your life, when you look back on it, you can say, wow, I'm not the person I used to be. I know I can. I am not at all the person I used to be. And I'm not even the person I was a year ago. God's changing me. He's changing you. Secondly, Jesus came to seek and save. And I, I want you to notice the language of the texts that followed that, the two scripture texts. I want you to notice this radical, intense language. Listen, he came to seek and save that which was lost, helpless, and ungodly sinners like us. Now, now think about the language. We were lost. He, first of all, he came to seek and save. Now, I love this because it shows us that coming to faith in God is not us ascending. And see, that's the difference between man-made religion and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man-made religion is you do this, do this, do this, do this, work here, fulfill these commandments, jump through these hoops, and you will ascend. You will build your own ladder. You will build your own staircase to God. And once you get to God or enlightenment or nirvana, you will be at peace with the universe. And what the gospel actually says is, no, there, there are no There are no ladders, there are no stairs, there are no escalators, nor elevators. The only way that you get to the king is the king comes down to you. So the gospel is God moving toward us. He's the seeker. He's the chaser. He's the pursuer, the initiator, the lover who's going after, he's chasing after his wayward wife. That's the story of scripture. That's the beauty of the gospel. God's after you. He's after me. He's the seeker and he's the savior. He's the one who comes to save. And if you know anything about the word save that's used throughout the New Testament or salvation, it's a a holistic word. It's a comprehensive word. It's not just a word of if you believe the right things and you check all the boxes, you get your ticket to heaven when you die and you go to heaven. And that's what we've, unfortunately, that's what we've made the gospel. We've brought the gospel down to this little tiny idea that if you have a transaction with God, when you die, you'll go to heaven. And the gospel is so much more than what happens to you when you die. It's for when you live now. Yes, that is a benefit. But the ultimate thing that the gospel does in a human being's life is transforms us spirit, soul, and body. What does that mean? Spirit, that's our inner being that was broken from God at the fall. 
Our inner being becomes, becomes indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and where there was death, life comes on inside of us, and we become God-aware again. Our eyes are open to the world in a different way. We now have God's life in it, Zoe life. But then our soul is changed as well. And what is our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions, those things that give us that, that sense of human personality and personhood, uh, right? The way we think, the way we imagine, the way we dream, the way we create, the way we feel, the way we are the image of God, yeah. the image bears, the soul. And God comes to transform the soul through our life, to change our thinking, to transform our thinking so that we think along His lines and His way. And the last is the body. I don't know if you know this, but part of redemption at the very end of time as we know it is going to be that God is going to restore the earth. He's going to completely remake it. And He's also going to remake the human body. We're going to experience a resurrection and we're going to live in glorified human bodies that never get sick, never get tired, never die. And they're going to look good and feel good. Seriously, that's part of the gospel. So when, when God saves, he comes to save all of who we are, right? So Jesus came, what to do what? To seek and to save the lost. Now, I know it's not cool and it's not politically correct, but we don't even like to say that word. We don't like to believe anybody could be lost or we could ever be lost, but I don't know about you, I've felt lost. It's a terrible feeling. And Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. So if you're feeling kind of lost today, I want you to know something. Jesus Christ is seeking for you. He's chasing you. He wants to find you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, but not just lost, helpless, that text said, helpless. Listen, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for our sins. Think about the language. While we were still helpless, at the right time, in the nick of time, right on time, Christ died for our sins. Right? And then God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Now, here's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel says this. The good news, that's what gospel is. The gospel says this. When you couldn't do anything for yourself, when you were hopeless and helpless and lost and in sin and dying and powerless to choose or do anything right, at that time, God already loved you, was already seeking you, and was already sending his son to die for you. I don't know about you, but that is revolutionary. It is revolutionary to think that while, I, I love the language, we were helpless. We were helpless. See, salvation isn't us helping God along, you know. No, it's God saying, you are drowning, and if I don't jump in there and personally come save you, you're going to drown. And he saves us. He doesn't just throw a life ring. It's not, you know, kind of detached. He dives in. He dives into the depths of human muck and sin and evil and rescues us. Okay, so you still with me? So that's the backdrop for where I want to go today. I want to take you into a story. It was one of my favorite stories in the Bible because it lays out so clearly the beauty of the good news of Jesus. It's a story of a man named Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, so if you want to follow along in your own Bible, you can, but we'll have it up here on the screen. 
And I want to take you into the story of this man named Zacchaeus. And, and here's what I hope you get. And listen, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian in here, especially if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I'm hoping this message challenges you that you not become self-righteous, pharisaical, and that you not begin to believe that somehow you are really something. And those people out there are the bad people, and those people out there are the enemies, and you're the good person, and they're the bad people. Remember, there's a story where Jesus told a parable about a Pharisee and a publican. Right? And the Pharisee went to the temple of God and the Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like others. I'm not like that publican. I fast every week. I pray. I do all these things. I tithe. I'm in the temple. Thank you. I'm not like them. And then the publican who was off at a distance beat his chest and cried out to God, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, he went to his home justified. That is right in God. While the Pharisee would perish. Why is that? Because if we're not careful, over time, as we walk with God, we can start to kind of look at the world in terms of we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. That group, those sinners, those people, they're bad, we're good. And the scripture says that we're all bad apart from gospel saving power and grace. We need God's redemption. We need God's healing. We need God's salvation. Amen. Am I talking to anybody? Don't get all quiet on me now. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Here we go. Here's the story. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. Notice that. In the region, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Wow, interesting. Zacchaeus, he said. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. These are God's people. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Can somebody say amen to the reading of God's Word? So I have three main points today and multiple sub-points, just in case you're taking notes. The first point is this. Here's my first point. Jesus pursues undeserving and bad people like me. Jesus pursues undeserving and bad people like me. Now, let's be honest, because most of us, when we read this text of Scripture, we don't get how abhorrent a tax collector was in that culture. We don't understand this wasn't just a government worker. 
This guy was despised and hated beyond what we can even wrap our heads around. Because even if we say, I don't like the IRS, the IRS ain't nothing like Roman tax collectors were. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that for a minute. This guy, Zacchaeus, was a bad man. Can you say that with me? He was a bad man. He was a sinner of epic proportion. You see his reputation. When the people saw Jesus say, hey, come down out of the tree, Zacchaeus. I want to go to your house and be a guest today. There would have been a collected, <gasps> people would have been shocked. Can you believe it? Jesus is going to that house? See, he was a chief tax collector who became rich by defrauding his own people. He would have been Jewish. He would have been working for Rome. Rome was an occupying army. Rome was the oppressor. He would have turned his back on his own people just for the buck. But he was a chief tax collector. That means he was a manager of other tax collectors. And he would have received a commission off of all of the other tax collectors. He robbed from his own countrymen by using the authority of the state that occupied their land. He was a traitor. He was the worst of the worst. And Jesus said, I want to hang out with you. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> right? See, Zacchaeus, we, we look at this and, we, and then what? Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Think about this. This is a really bad guy, but he wants to see Jesus. Why? The, the scripture doesn't tell us, I, I think there, there could be a long list of reasons, but I'm just going to come up with two of my own. The first would be that he was curious. He wanted to see the show. Y'all remember what Jesus was doing as he went throughout the country? He was healing sick people. He was raising dead people, right? He was speaking with incredible authority. He was multiplying loaves and fishes, feeding multitudes, walking on water, I mean, Jesus was, was an incredible show, although he never let them make him an incredible show. But it'd be like, you know, if Jesus in the, in, you know, bodily showed up in our city, actually he has, we are called the body of Christ and we're his hands and feet and he wants to do miracles and heal and touch and change lives through us. But beside that, if he came here physically through Moses Lake, everywhere he went, he would cause all kinds of problems and be an incredible, incredible experience. And most of us in this room would be following along because yeah. we want to see the show, yeah. right? So maybe Zacchaeus was out for the show, but I... I have a sense that he was starting to get convicted in his conscience. It's possible, maybe probable, this is speculative, it doesn't say it in the text, that God was already drawing Zacchaeus and preparing him for this very day. He may have begun to feel remorse and regret for his sin. He, he may have wanted to see Jesus because he had heard that Jesus was merciful and offered sinners hope. He may have noticed that Jesus had a former tax collector in his group of 12. And he would have been like, if that Matthew Levi guy can be a part of that group, maybe he'll show mercy to me. Think about it. He would have been continually rejected and hated and despised and he may have begun to feel guilt and shame about his sin and it was starting to bother him. So he hears Jesus is coming and he knows Jesus is a friend of sinners. This guy has a tax collector with him and he has a revolutionary with him. Think about that. Simon the Zealot was one of the followers of Jesus. Matthew Levi. Think about it for a minute. Somebody who would want to kill tax collectors and did things against Rome to kill tax collectors and a tax collector were in the group of 12 that Jesus took with him everywhere. Yeah. 
enemies, sworn enemies were in the group. I've always had this fantasy that when Jesus sent the disciples out two by two to heal the sick and preach that the kingdom of God was at hand, he said, hey, Matthew, come on, Matthew, Leo, come on over here. Hey, Simon, the zealot, come on over here. You guys are going to go out and heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. I just can see Jesus doing something like that. Just to make a point, just to mess them up. Right? He must have believed there was something about Jesus. And, you know, you see in this story that a transformed life like Zacchaeus begins with seeing Jesus. Or I should say, it begins by being seen by Jesus. So you notice he, he wants to see him, and he's a short guy, and there are all these people, and there's a huge crowd, and of course, they don't want to make room for him, and he's probably even maybe a little you know, nervous, maybe a little afraid for his safety, so he runs. Remember, he's a government worker, he's a full-grown man, and he runs like a child. And he climbs a tree like a child. Unless you become as little children, you shall not see or enter the kingdom of heaven. So he runs down the road, he climbs up the tree, and he's up there looking at Jesus, wanting to see the show, wondering if this guy could maybe include him in his group of followers, and he sees Jesus, he wants to see him, he's willing to go out of the way, willing to take drastic steps and measures to get to him. What are you willing to do to see Jesus? You know, I realized in my life over time that when I, when I was younger in the Lord, i I prayed some of those prayers, you know, those dangerous prayers. Have any of you ever prayed the dangerous prayers? I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll pay any price. Everything I have is yours, Lord. I don't care. I just love you. You've changed my life. You've rescued me. What do you want from me? It's all yours. But then what happens over time? You start kind of protecting some of your stuff and you know, you start, oh, well, Lord, really, that? Wait, whoa, whoa, that hurts. Get behind me, Satan. Right? You start, you start, you become a lot less. You know, you, you think now that you got something. You got stuff. You got a reputation. You got this career that you got to protect it. And Jesus says, no, it's all mine. Zacchaeus is ready to run down a road and climb a tree just so he can see him. But the most important thing is that Jesus sees him. I love what it says happens. It says that Jesus called him by name, Zacchaeus. Now, now we don't know. The, the backstory isn't included in this narrative. But either Jesus had heard about Zacchaeus or Jesus knew him in the spirit word of knowledge. And we see many times Jesus knew people. He knew things about people. He knew Nathaniel. Oh yeah, I saw you when you were under the tree. Well, he wasn't around him. He, he knew him. So Jesus knew Zacchaeus. In fact, I'm just going to put before you that Jesus, of course, is the pursuer, the initiator, the first mover. What does that mean? He already had his heart, his eyes. Who knows? He may have been moving through that area just so he could go to Zacchaeus's home and encounter him. He was after him. He knew him by name, and he looked up, and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house today. You know, some of you in this room, you're getting set up. And I just want you to know, you might feel like he doesn't see you. 
but he sees you. He knows where you live. And today could be your day. He might say, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house today. Will you let him? He wants to come to our house every day, but he's looking at you and he's calling you by name. And that's the beauty of this because this is a tax collector. This is a sinner. He's never done anything that's, you know, redeemable. So it seems, but Jesus is after him. And that takes me to my second point, and that is that Jesus gives us grace before we change. Listen, Jesus gives us grace before we change. You might even be here today and you're like, you know what? I like what I feel when I go to church, or I like when you're singing that song, or something's happening. Even right now, I'm sitting here, but, but I'm a mess, and I, I just... I don't think God could ever forgive me or love me or accept me. I've blown it too bad. I've, I've done too many shameful things. I'm too messed up. And, and what I'll do is I'll clean up my life. I'm going to get my life together a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be better, right? And you, we say these things. We make these inner vows. I'm going to be better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to turn the leaf over. I'm going to go to this program. I'm going to, I'll clean myself up. And when I get cleaned up and I get my life together, then I'll serve God. And Jesus is like, that's not how it works. I'm coming after you now. I want to come to your house today. You are a sinner. You are ungodly. You are hopeless and helpless. You're just the kind of person I want. Amen. Amen. That is good news. See, think about it. He broke all the cultural taboos so he could go to Zacchaeus' house. A rabbi in that time would never go to a sinner's home out of fear of becoming unclean. Isn't that interesting? Jesus wanted to save the sinner and conform him to his own image, but In that time, a rabbi could not go to a tax collector's home because Judaism of that time taught that if you were around sinners, somehow their sin would get on you and it would get into you. It would defile you. You'd be ceremonially unclean. And so religious people avoided the people culture called sinners, the bad people, avoided them. And let me tell you something, if there's something inside of you as a long-term Christian, you've been walking with God for a long time, and you're just like, I got to stay away from those people. I don't want what's on them to get on me. First of all, whose power are you trusting? The power of darkness over the power of Christ in you? And secondly, how do lost people get found? Little bit of Jesus magic dust. Right? Somebody's going to have to risk getting dirty. Amen? Yeah. I remember years ago, we used to take out teams of people on Friday night, and we would go to different, um, we, we'd go two by two or sometimes three or four, and we'd go to different taverns and parking lots, and we'd go to the tavern, we'd sit down, order, you know, a 7-Up and, and a, a sandwich or something, and then i just pray, Lord, lead me into an encounter with somebody. And one guy down here at one of the taverns in town was going to commit suicide one of the nights we were there. And I got to talk with him and pray with him. And he wept and said he was going to go take his life. But I prayed with him and he didn't take his life. Isn't that awesome? And we saw many testimonies like that. But I remember one of my neighbors that lived on my block, 
saw me at the tavern one of those times. He said, I saw you at the tavern Friday night. And I remember feeling like, am I, is this a bad testimony? Is this, am I doing the right thing? Because I'm a pastor. And pastors aren't supposed to go to those places, right? But the reality is, is that they called Jesus a drunkard and a sinner because he went places where sinners were because he was the savior of sinners. Weird. And the church is still doing his job and his mission. Weird. So I remember I had to work through all of that and I came to the conclusion, I'm doing what the Lord wants us to do. And I'm not going to concern myself with what people think. Now, I'm not saying I went into the bar and, you know, I got wasted and, hey, <laughs> went a little Jesus, yeah. I didn't do that. I shared Jesus with people who need Jesus. Amen? Amen. See, Jesus demonstrated love, acceptance, mercy, and grace when he asked to go to Zacchaeus' house. Remember, Zacchaeus would have been rejected by all the rabbis, the religious people, and most of the Jewish people who lived around him. When Jesus said, I want to go to your home, it would have been an act of incredible love. It would have been beyond anything Zacchaeus expected. He just wanted to see him. He didn't know he was going to get to host him. Right? Constable's note says this, the coming of Jesus to share his home is a sign of fellowship and ultimate forgiveness. It was as though Jesus had become the guest of a mafia godfather. I'm making an offer you can't refuse. Okay. However, table fellowship implied even more comradeship then than eating in someone else's home does today. Staying in a person's home amounted to sharing in that person's sins or goodness. When you were invited by somebody in the community that was accepted as special and you went into their home, it was almost like their dignity and their goodness rubbed off on you. And if you went into a sinner's home, when you came out, the society would have seen it like, you just came out dirty. Now we can't touch you either. But Jesus went there, and when he did that, it broke something. It shattered something. It did something in Zacchaeus' heart. It transformed him and changed him and made him into a different kind of person. It brought about true repentance, and this takes me. And, and, and I want you to notice, when he receives him, he receives him joyfully. Why? Because when you've been loved, when you've had kindness shown to you, when you've been favored, when you didn't expect it, isn't that what grace is? The favor of God in an unexpected expected way to people who can't merit it and don't deserve it, who can never do enough to make God want to love them, God moves toward them and says, you're mine. I take you to myself joyfully. Well, Zacchaeus gets rocked. He's like, yeah, come on to my house. And he's so happy. The scripture says he received him with joy, celebrated that Jesus was coming to his house. And this takes me to the last point, And that is that Jesus gives us grace that transforms us. You see, religion says this. Go give all your money to the poor. Become a good person. Pay back your debts. Get your act together. Quit hanging out with sinners. Then I will love you. The gospel says, I love you. I gave my life for you. I died you. Died for you. Died you. Died for you. (laughs) 
I poured out my blood and my life on a Roman cross for you. I pursue you. I chase you. I'm after you. And then we say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. It's a response of love from lovers, friends, sons, and daughters. Jesus gives us grace that transforms us. I want you to notice, notice Zacchaeus didn't repent with tears. We think if it was real repentance, there'll be tears and snot. You can count on it. In this case, there's joy and generosity. The response of repentance is joy and generosity. What is repentance? The Greek word is metanoia. What is metanoia? To change the mind, to change the thinking so radically that it changes the behavior, it changes the heart and the affections, and you move in a new direction. That's repentance. Well, that's what happened here. Jesus shows him favor. He responds. There's no tears, but he's a new man. He's a different man. He doesn't even say a sinner's prayer. Uh Uh-oh. Now I'm going to tread on some dangerous territory. Can't you imagine Jesus is at Zacchaeus' house? He's come to his home. He stops everything. He says, can you get somebody over here on a keyboard? Okay, play that keyboard. Nice, right there. Bring the, can you bring the house lights down? There you go. All right. Ooh, that's a good vibe. Now I feel the anointing. Ooh, glory. Okay, Zacchaeus, pray this prayer with me. And then you'll be saved. He doesn't do any of that. By the way, I'm not saying those things are bad. We do them. Okay? So that makes them okay. (laughs) But what I am saying is we have to be very careful that we don't formulize God. That we don't say God has to work like this. It has to be a sinner's prayer. There has to be tears and snot. We have to play the keyboard. Make sure the music is right, the vibe is right, the atmosphere, the environment, all the words that we use to set a stage so the Holy Spirit can move. And God's like, I don't need any of that stuff. I'm God. Come on. No sinner's prayer. He repented how? Lord, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. All the people I've defrauded, I'm going to pay back. I'm going to fix it. And Jesus is not saying to him, because you did these good works, you're saved. Jesus is saying to him, because you're saved, you did these good works. You see the difference? His heart had been changed. And now he was moved to take action. He couldn't help himself. Again, I remember being a new Christian, and I was ready to give away everything and anything and go anywhere and do whatever he asked me to do. Why? Because I know how broken I was, how lost I was, how addicted I was, how many hooks were in me, how many things I was doing that left me with shame, how many weekends I came back blacked out, not knowing what I'd done. I knew all the garbage that was in my life. And when Jesus liberated me and set me free from my addictions and healed me and gave me a new life, I I was His. I belonged to His. That's lover's language, a heart change. That's what Jesus does to people. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. And by the way, Jesus doesn't quit being a savior 
After you say, Jesus, come into my life. He's your savior every single day. He's the only one that can liberate you from the power of darkness. He told us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then down there later he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil and the evil one. And I pray every day, Lord, lead me not into temptation, trial, or tribulation beyond my ability to bear, but deliver me from evil, the evil of my own flesh, the evil of the society around me, the evil of darkness and demonic power and the evil one. Deliver me, God. And I understand something. Jesus still saves those who are his over and over and over again. We need his rescuing, saving power continually. And then Jesus, he repented with his actions. He, he said he would fix what he'd broken, his confession of restitution was true repentance and action. And then Jesus said he was saved and he was sought for. He wanted to see Jesus. Jesus saw him. He was transformed to be more like Jesus because he saw what Jesus was really like. See, that day, Zacchaeus had a contrast. He had watched the religion of his people his whole life. He'd watched the religion of oppression, the religion not of grace, but of legalism, the religion of death. And he watched it and watched it and watched it. Religion in the name of so-called holiness. Religion that this is how you're in. You have to do all the right stuff and then maybe you're in. He'd watched that and now suddenly he saw God in the flesh. God in a bod, walking among him. Showing the true nature of the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God the Father is like? Look at this story and we see God's character and nature. He seeks and he saves lost people. He pursues those that are sinners. And while we're hopeless and helpless and we can't be rescued by our own power or the power of any man or institution, Jesus Christ steps into our life and rescues us from the power of sin and death and gives us his life. That is the powerful, wonderful, life-transforming, changing good news. And that's how you get transformed. He changes you. He transforms you. He makes you new. This is a sinner that encountered Jesus and his grace, kindness, and love led to a transformed life. You know, before and while I was preparing this, I was just thinking about the fact that many of us are a little bit in jeopardy in our life. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about what's happened to your heart. People that walk in the church for a long time and are Christians a long time, they get, without even realizing it, they get self-righteous. And they start to look around the world in terms of us versus them and right and wrong and good guys, bad guys. And when you start looking at the world that way, you've forgotten where you came from. You've forgotten what you've been rescued from. You've forgotten what you are without Him. But when you start recognizing that all the people that you passed, that maybe they are blind to God. Maybe they're lost in their sin and death. Maybe they're part of groups or movements or things that you abhor. 
But I'm going to tell you something. God's after them. He's after us. Many of us in this room, we know we used to be that. And we're only this far from being that without maintaining constant kindness, grace, and love. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. That's the transforming love and grace of God. May we never forget what He's done for us. Amen?